Welcome to Cups and Cakes presents Inside the Artist Studio. The interview you're about to hear was originally recorded on October 8th, 2017. To find out more about Cups and Cakes, visit them at cupsandcakespod.com. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. What you're about to hear may contain filthy language and adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Inside the Artist Studio, I'm Jeff McCallum. Simone Schmidt is a seasoned veteran in Toronto's folk and country scene, playing in renowned bands The Highest Order, $100, and also writing music solo under the name Fiverr. Her most recent release under this moniker is entitled Audible Songs from Rockwood. The album is a fictionalized account of the stories told by archival documents of the Rockwood Asylum for the criminally insane that housed female prisoners from 1856 to 1881. It is easily the most ambitiously researched record of 2017 and one that made it up into the number three spot for top albums of the year here at Cups and Cakes. Taking some time from her busy schedule at Edmonton's Up downtown festival to join me today is simone schmidt welcome to the show thanks for having me okay before we start here i just wanted to say that i'm quite ignorant to canadian history <laughs> uh sadly it's not i'm not proud of it but yeah. uh, if i misspeak or get anything wrong please please do correct me yeah no prop okay before we get into the concept, the research and making of the record, one thing that struck me right away is its tautological title. Now, I had to look that word up. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that smart, but that word basically refers to the poor grammar between the words audible and songs. Now, I have no doubt that you did this on purpose, and I wanted to know why. Well, I wanted to infer that maybe there are songs that can't be heard. Okay, yeah. You know, there were songs written by people that we'll never hear. Yeah. And there are songs that cannot be sung. Yeah. And so that the ones on the album are the only ones that are audible. Okay. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. The other thing I noticed before removing the album from the packaging is that you used the name Simone Carver and not Simone Schmidt. What was the reason for that? Well, I decided it in case the entire project in this fiction, which is that um, there's Simone Carver, who is an ethnomusicologist, and she writes 30 pages of liner notes and collects these songs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you read the liner notes, you're going to be reading it in her voice. Yeah. Um, And she writes, of course, like an ethnomusicologist. I was kind of looking at people like Edith Falk and Alan Lomax, people who were working uh, often for Smithsonian Folkways, doing field recordings. And they would like go to the Ottawa Valley or they would go to Madison County and they would uh, record the folk music of that region and then they'd issue it with these long, boring liner notes. Uh, <laughs> like a they're, dissertation. Yeah, they're like written in like the most dry way. And so you'll see Simone Carver is like trying to take on this objective tone, but like also clearly her bias is coming through as you read it. Uh, and she's struggling with this position of objectivity in collecting these songs. And of course, there's like the larger problem, which is that she's collecting the songs from case files and not from reality because yes. uh, if she couldn't reverse time, I can't reverse time. So I'm, you know, Simone Carver is this fictional ethnomusicologist and then Fiverr is like the musician who arranges the songs, basically. Okay. Yeah. 
And those like differences emerged from problems that I was having as I started to make this. I think when I started to make the record, I thought it was going to be really easy. Yeah. I was like, yeah, simple. You go into history, you take a story, you write a song like Jesse James, like all these old folk tunes that yeah. people write. And then as I got into archival research, because I'm not an academic and because I'm not a historian, there were things that maybe other people would have just known, but I I didn't realize how clearly the historical record was going to be written only by people in power. And it's really striking when you see the handwriting yeah. of these men and you realize that all you have to go on for a lot of these people's lives is what the men in power had to say about them yeah. and so it's a lot to do with opinion yes and the histor historical record often is given to us you know as an objective factual thing but really it has so much to do with opinion and you know if you look at the, the history of Canada and how you I don't know how old you are I'm 33 but I when I was taught the history of Canada, I didn't learn anything about colonization, really. Yes, yeah. I learned about the fur trade. Yeah, yeah. I'm also 33. I have the same same uh, poor education of yeah. our country, yeah. So I think, like, the historical record, when you look at, and, and I touch on this in the liner notes, when you look at um, oral histories of different indigenous nations who were here before settlers and are still here, um, those often aren't issued as fact in the historical record. And so I, I was thinking about like these bigger ideas about who gets to tell history, what kind of history is considered objectively true, and what kind of history is considered opinion. And I, and I was like making parallels between um, the psychiatric case files mm -hmm. that are held as truth, even though they're the opinion of a doctor. And, yeah. and and the historical record, and, and then, of course, the ethnomusicologist is someone who has like a clear view. And I started to realize that I might be at risk of doing the same thing as these men had done yes. in the past to the women in the present. So I was worried about taking on that authority. And so the only way that I could artfully get around that was to develop this like fictional character, Simone Carver. So we're starting from a position where we know that this is all fiction. Yeah. And then on top of that, she can betray some of my opinions in the way that she's writing about this stuff. Very impressive that you like thought about that because that's something that I would have never, you know, been sensitive enough to think about. That's mm. really cool. Um, so let's get into the meat of the record. What really is the story that you're trying to tell with Audible Songs from Rockwood? Hmm. You know, I think that changes all the time. I do this show where I present 11 songs. It's about an hour and 10 minutes long. And I emphasize different stuff mm -hmm. at different times. And going in to making the project, I had the idea, again, that it would just be a simple record. And as the project grew and um, expanded, I think that at different times, different themes are emphasized. So I wanted to talk a lot about criminality and what is considered to be a crime at different times in history this changes right the yeah, laws change for sure. um insanity is the same and so the women at rockward were mostly settler women almost you know mostly 
British and Irish migrants. There were some um, enslaved African Americans who had come up and then were incarcerated at Kingston and then wound up at Rockwood. But for the most part, it was like Irish women and men who were working as servants, domestic servants, and um, had become useless at work. Yeah. You know, I didn't have an idea before I started researching that that would be the case. And so the more that I learned that it was kind of like winding up in Rockwood would be a function of having maybe an intellectual difference Mm -hmm. or uh, epilepsy Mm -hmm. and not being able to work or having uh, being intemperate. So drinking or uh, accusing your husband of cheating on you. Yeah. All these things that don't seem like crimes and don't really nece- like seem like uh, mental illness as we call it now, I suppose, even though I, I take issue with that term. Um, I really believe like um, this story continues today. Yes. So I think if we can um, look at the past and have a distance from the past and understand it as like the roots yeah. of the carceral system so the jails and the uh, institutions that people are relegated to now yeah. if we can look at the past and have the distance we have now and we can say wow it's totally ridiculous that someone with epilepsy would wind up incarcerated indefinitely for their whole life simply because they had seizures yeah. and couldn't work that maybe we can start to draw parallels with today and the things that we like tacitly accept as as truth uh when it comes to diagnosing people yeah um right now i think the stat from 2014 was that 67 percent of women in federal prisons are diagnosed with mental illness and are treated for mental illness and so although we don't really have the same kind of institutionalization that existed in the past there really are a majority of people who are considered to have a mental difference by the medical profession that now are not able to be free. Mm -hmm. I think that is something we need to really consider and think about more. So yeah, I mean, I when I started this project, I didn't know that that would be what I'd get to. And that's the beauty of investigation. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So investigation... (laughs) Man, for me, one of the most impressive things about the album is the massive amount of research put into telling the stories of these women. Is this intense research of historical archives something that you had any experience with before you started? I read a lot. I never had done primary document research um, at all. Uh, And so there are so many things that became beautiful to me about it, like touching papers that were touched by the people who wrote them in the past is like very wild to see the handwriting yeah really hammers home the subjectivity of the material okay Um, yeah of course yeah yeah because you know you have to think about who's writing it whereas i read some um notes to the legislature that were handwritten and then I'd read the same ones you can find them on Canadian online yeah. and and they're all typed up because they would all wind up typed up and when you read those in 
in type, they'd seem like fact. And then when you read handwritten, handwritten yes. stuff, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy was just a guy. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that was really cool for me. But, um, yeah, I didn't really know how to do it, and I don't know if I'm good. And, I mean, I think that's also why I wanted to leave an amount of, like, question marks uh, around the truth of what I was doing because I didn't learn research methods. But it was really cool because um, one of the only academics who's like studying the Rockwood Asylum uh, is this woman, Kathleen Kendall, and she's going to put out a book on it in a few years. She's been studying it for 20 years, and she had written one article about it. So I tried to get in touch with her while I was making the record, and then she uh, didn't get back to me at all. And when I put out the record, she wrote to me and she said, I heard about this record. I'm obsessed with the Rockwood Asylum. And I was like, yeah, you're cited in the liner notes. Like, (laughs) what's up? She came from the UK and we hung out and we compared data. And she assured me that like the archive is always just this big confusing thing that you're wading through because no one was making it with the notion that it would be referenced in the future and archives are always incomplete. Yeah. And they're always apparatuses of power, so... Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, like, very, very confusing and often when I was doing the research I would find, like, a gaping blank and I'd be like, I'm just bad at research and then, in fact, it's, like, it's not there. The information's not there. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So combing through all this stuff, I was wondering what some of the things that really surprised you about your findings were. I keep getting asked this and I try to think of a new thing every time I get asked it because as I was researching, everything was surprising to me. Okay. You mentioned that your knowledge of history was really loose. Well, mine was too. Yeah. I mean, it still is. But um, I hadn't realized that the population of Upper Canada doubled between 1830 and 1840 and so this time before that there were no institutions uh like there weren't many asylums and the kingston penitentiary was only open in 1831 and in upper canada if you the district like a district was trying to become a district Mm -hmm. The thing that would qualify it, in fact, was that it had a jail. Really? So the jail is, like, foundational to the building of Canada and the way that it's divided and understood. That's incredible. So I thought that as, like, a historical fact was really mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, I learned about uh, Haldeman County. There's a tune called Haldeman County, and uh, the Haldeman Proclamation was this proclamation that was made in the late 1700s after the Haudenosaunee had fought alongside the British loyalists during the American Revolutionary War. And I had not understood, because I live right close to Six Nations, Mm -hmm. which is a reserve where the Six Nations Confederacy is, I didn't understand that that wasn't their original indigenous territory, but that it had been promised to them as a sovereign nation by a king that they had fought alongside of. Oh, okay. And so that, yeah, six miles on either side of the Grand River was promised to the Haudenosaunee who, like, could no longer live in what had become USA because they had fought on the Canadian side, basically, on the British side. So, yeah, that was... a 
huge part of this really local history to me that I didn't know. Very and cool. that actually informs a conflict that is happening right now because the Haldeman Tract that was the sovereign land of the Six Nations was like 940,000 acres and to this day it's supposed to be a sovereign area uh, of the Six Nations and now it's 5% of that amount of land. Oh wow. Yeah. So um, things like that. I yeah. didn't I didn't know that. Okay, we talked about it a little bit, but not only are there songs and cover art that are used to tell the story of Rockwood, you also included this 30-page booklet, uh, the fictional, or done by the fictional Simone Carver. How important to the story is the book, and did you have any fear of people not really, you know, diving into the album in the way that is kind of necessary to really understand it? by including so much material and so much content. I started to feel uncomfortable with the digital age when I started putting out music really 10 years ago. Okay. And my feeling is that there are very few mediums other than like vinyl or CD that people use right now to listen to music that allow for them to pay attention to any of it. Yeah. So on this level, of like crafting an album and trying to make a flow for the side A and side B and thinking about albums in that way, I never feel like I'm served by the current digital media trends. Mm -hmm. I don't like streaming and I generally feel like people are losing their literacy when it comes to songwriting. Mm -hmm. I was talking about this earlier today, like a lot of Bob Dylan lyrics that are now considered classics at the time, no one would have understood in the first time that they heard it. Yeah. But there was like a, a treatment of the listener towards music where they would be uh, liter like literate in songwriting. They were part of generations of people who like memorized poetry and they thought about words in different ways than we do now. Absolutely, yeah. And I really feel like um, because now those songs are classic, contemporary listeners like know them and they feel comfortable with them. But if any of those songs were to be put out now as new tunes people will be like what is this what the heck is this guy talking about yeah and i get that as a response to my songwriting a lot and a lot of my favorite songwriters get that as a response to their songwriting like we're trying to fit too much in or it's too dense or i have to listen to it more than once to understand what you're getting at mm -hmm. and my response to that is that like song is about repetition mm -hmm. and it's about listening and you're not supposed to understand anything in the world the first time that you hear it. And if you can, there's probably not all that much to understand in it. So I'm kind of always as a musician and a songwriter working against the trends in culture. So it didn't feel like a big uh, jump to include 30 pages of liner notes because I figure my audience is an investigative audience. They're people who are used to seeking out stuff that's maybe less popular yeah. and they're up for the challenge of being with it and I don't care if someone gets the record and doesn't read the liner notes for like 10 years Yeah. whenever they get to it they do and I try to write songs that could be sung in different contexts and mean different things too like yeah. all of the characters on the record are songwriters on top of being whoever they were if okay. that makes sense so i was like trying to write a song in the way that that the character would write a song a song very cool so some of them are confessional some of them like just sing about a mare yeah and there is no story in 
the lyrics of the song, but the thing that inspired me to write it would be like a long backstory about epilepsy, right? Like yeah. stuff like that. Because I don't think that you know, there's humor in some of the songs. There's uh, there there are jokes. There's wordplay. Uh, yeah. They're like good. You know, there are songs that I thought were good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's kind of like you know you want to try to uh, make the songs stand on their own. Very nice. Yeah. yeah cool. Okay, finally, last question before we get into the rapid fire. Okay. What does 2018 have in store for Fiverr? I, I'm starting to work on a disco record. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. I always say that. Can't um, wait to hear it. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a band called The Highest Order, and we're actually playing tonight but um, in Edmonton. But we're, gonna, we're working on a live record. Oh, cool. Uh, we're just mixing it right now. So I, have, I hope to have that out. And... I'd really like to tour Audible Songs from Rockwood uh, even more because it's like a show that traditional folk lovers like, but also people who are not even that into music like. So I'm going to try to figure out how to mount it in soft cedar theaters. Cool. And um, I doubt that that will be done by 2018, but maybe 2019 it'll start, start popping up. And I do hope that... I get invited to do the whole show at Edmonton because I only had 20 minutes at this festival. And I was so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so disappointed. <laughs> but yeah, and I can bring my acoustic guitar and maybe even John Showman, who's a really amazing fiddle player who plays on the record. Yeah. Nice. Uh, most of our listeners are from Western Canada, and I have no doubt that Winnipeg, Saskatoon, Regina, Calgary, Vancouver, all dying to, to see this performed live. Yeah, I did it in Vancouver. Oh, they got lucky. And I did it in Calgary. But I was touring with this great, because you guys, you're talking about like regional music, but um, there's this great musician you should check out, Saltwater Hank. Okay. And we just did a tour together. Uh, he's like from Gitgata First Nation, and he's like the a really great bluegrass player. And he tells stories about like Simon Gunanoot and... Maud Watt and different historical figures and he also sings sometimes in Somaliax which is his language yeah. uh, from the northwest coast so yeah I think it was really great to tour with someone who's from that region in that region and and I was thinking a lot about the divisions in Canada uh, between the west coast and the east coast and central Canada and the more industry heavy parts where music you know I'm around a lot of musicians in Toronto who get like a lot of industry backing and pushing yeah i just happened to be born there yeah i didn't move there to make music that was going to be famous so anyways the point is is that i think it's really important what you're doing to cover music from where you're at well thank you yeah (laughs) i appreciate it (laughs) i'm i'm glad you came here because this record like i said um we loved it here at cups and cakes so this is a this was a bit of a treat a serendipitous treat thank you okay well let's um we've kind of covered the record I love that record, um, but we got uh, this thing we usually do here at Cups and Cakes because we like to keep things light, and I know there's a lot of heavy (laughs) content on that record, (laughs) but uh, why don't we finish this interview with some laughs? Okay, (laughs) I'll try. Okay, so here's our rapid fire questionnaire. What album sparked your love of music? Bob Dylan, times they are changing, actually. Great, great, great answer. Uh, What's your current musical obsession? Gene Clark, always. 
Burgers or pizza? Burger. How do you take your coffee? Two creams. Best movie you've seen recently? Oh, I fall asleep in every movie that I watch and I don't know. <laughs> I just do not know. <laughs> Alcohol or marijuana? Marijuana. What's the best thing to happen to you on stage? Oh, to just play every time I get to play. Yeah. Yeah. What's the worst? I vomited, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> How many pets do you have and what are their names? I live with a cat named Santa Liquid Mirror who is not mine. Santa Liquid Mirror? Yeah. <laughs> What's the strangest job you've ever had? My first job was dressing up as a chicken for the Juno Award winning songwriter Sandra Beach. She was a children's <laughs> entertainer and I was a chicken called Chicory Chick. Awesome. What's your favorite superhero? Sorry. The Hulk. The Hulk. I meant to say, who is your favorite superhero? <laughs> the Hulk, yeah. Beals or the Stones? Um, Buffy St. Marie. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, that question, because where I came up with that question was I read Neil Young's um, biography, Shaky, mm -hmm. and there's a part in there where he is explaining that uh, every band is either the Beatles or the Stones, meaning that like the, the Stones were very loose and it was a lot more just kind of like off the floor type yeah. stuff. And the Beatles was just so, you know, meticulous and everything was just planned and done exactly the way they wanted it and they would comb over it. And, and he has this kind of theory about every band is either one or the other. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of where I got that question. And Everybody I ask it to hates it. <laughs> it's like, it's so harsh because sometimes I'm just like, the stones, like, when you, when you learn about anyone, you're like, you're a despicable person. <laughs> but I did like sticky fingers. <laughs> and Ticket to Ride is a great jam. Yeah, for sure. So. For sure. Uh, what was your first car? Oh, uh, Ford Econoline, uh, 12 seater. Yeah, it was blue. Best Canadian city to play. Oh, geez. Uh, Edmonton. You don't, you don't need to say Edmonton. <laughs> no. That's not what I'm looking for. No, they're all really good. I love to go to Vancouver. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. What's the worst? Oh, one time I played to one person playing the game bow in Sault Ste. Marie. Sault Ste. Marie, hey? One person. Mm -hmm. And one person got a good show, I'm betting. Mm. No? <laughs> <laughs> What's the weirdest request you've ever had from a fan? Um... Like to deeply engage in a poetry back and forth <laughs> with, this, with a stranger that who I, whose poetry I didn't feel anything for. <laughs> What's your favorite road trip album? Oh, I like this Daniel Lenoir album that is called. I always forget it has it's a um, instrumental album and. It is called Fuck. <laughs> um, Belladonna. Okay. If you could get wasted with any musician, or just have a hang, if you'd prefer, mm -hmm. dead or alive, who would it be? And uh, if you chose to partake in substances, what substance would that be? I'd like to hang out with Nina Simone, and I would do whatever she was doing. If you could fight any musician, Dead or alive, who would it be? Mick Jagger. All right. We've got one left. Okay. One left. 
Similar to the Twilight Zone episode, if you just found out you were the last person alive on Earth, what's the first thing you would do? I think I would probably like run around crying and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> but then I like figure out how to make bubble tea. Bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Like raid it, you know? Raid the bubble tea. <laughs> Wonderful answer. All right, Simone, thank you so much for joining me on Cups and Cakes. Thank you for having me. Best of luck in the future. Thanks a lot. And now, dear listener, we will leave you with Pile Your Silver off of the wonderful Audible songs from Rockwood. Just work away 
pile your silver up like dust Your clothing thick as clay Sinner, hold your weight in gold While the righteous work away Cups and Cakes Presents is produced by Jeff McCallum. The feature track was played with permission from Fiverr. Undercurrents from Atlantis Jazz Ensemble's album Oceanic Suite is the background music throughout the entire episode. Oceanic Suite is available through Ottawa's Marlowe Records. Find out more at marlowrecords.com. Inside the Artist Studio is the second podcast from Cups and Cakes. To hear the original and learn more, go to cupsandcakespod.com. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening.